and uh, commend that book there to you. Well, we are in the Gospel of John, as you know, no surprise. Uh, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're in John 13, and we finish the chapter today. And in this opening chapter of the Upper Room Discourse, which is what John chapter 13 is, it's the very beginning of what is called the Upper Room Discourse. It runs from this chapter through to John chapter 16, before climaxing in John chapter 17, where Christ the Eternal Son prays to God the Father. And we've seen in chapter 13 as we've gone along, we saw that Jesus came and He washed the disciples' feet. You remember that? They should have had the uh, humility to turn and wash each other's feet, but they didn't. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And you remember Christ, He took on the, the, the dress and the posture of a servant and He washed the disciples' feet to teach us, to teach them clearly that to be a Christian is to serve one another, to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, to have that as uh, forefront on our hearts and minds, ever being looking about how we can serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then last Lord's Day, Jesus went on to make it explicitly clear that to be a Christian is to love one another, to love one another, that by loving one another, you and I display to the watching world that we are indeed Christians, that the world will see the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ and know that we truly are His disciples. We also saw last Lord's Day that Christ made much of glory, that now the Son of Man will be glorified by His death upon the cross, by His glorious resurrection. And we saw that new commandment, as I mentioned, to love one another. Well, to round out this opening chapter of the Upper Room Discourse, there's another little component to the Christian life that's sitting kind of hidden away in these last three verses, verses 36 to 38, which will be our focus and attention this morning. Quite a number of folk kind of just quickly skip over this or they move on to the what's coming next because certainly what is coming next is we'll see Peter spoken about today and then Thomas and then Philip and sometimes people like to and it's not wrong to do it but they like to group those three together or they like to just kind of bypass uh, these last three verses as they talk about the new commandment to love that's at least my observation but I think we need not skip over this I think we need to camp out here and kind of heed take heed to the lesson. It's a very important lesson embedded in our text today that we all, as Christians, really need to receive today. I want to say, I know my own heart, I don't know your heart, but you know your own heart. We know one another's hearts as best we can. We desperately need this lesson here today. It involves the Apostle Peter. Jesus himself is included in here. It involves him and it also even involves a contrast with Judas for a moment. You see, we're about to read three verses that tell us about Peter denying the Lord Jesus. Peter, a believer, denying the Lord Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. We saw that in chapter 13 as well. 
But Peter denied him. I want you to understand that there is a world of difference between the two. Judas betrayed Jesus from an unregenerate heart, a stone-cold heart, full of hostility to God. Peter, Peter had a serious, very serious, yet momentary fall. Judas was clinical. Judas was callous. Judas was cold in his determination to betray Christ. Whereas Peter, Peter was caught up. Peter was swept up in a moment that would bring him eventually face to face in the very area of his weakness. Bring him face to face with that And it will be something mightily used of God. The lesson for us here in our passage that we're about to read this morning is to be reminded, even perhaps to see for the first time, the weakness that we as believers possess. And to avoid the same or even similar experience to that of Peter here which really was an overconfidence, an overassessment of himself. We kind of have that overconfidence and overassessment of ourselves ingrained in us as part of our fallen nature. We also, as Christians, we also think, we have this idea, and it's wrong, that a true Christian could never sin in such a serious way. And when they do, someone we know, we have this built-in mechanism to think quite quickly, well, I wonder, I doubt if they are actually a Christian. The reality is, is that Christians do fall into very serious sin. And most often, it's due to what we'll see here in our passage this morning, that is an over-assessment of ourselves as being stronger than we actually are. And that's why we need this little passage here. And so last week, as I said, was all about the glory of God and love. The the love of Christ for us, the love of Christ to us, the love we are compelled to show our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's all lovely, if you will. But now we go, as you've heard me say many times, to where the text goes, and today we'll be confronted a little. And so buckle up and be attentive to the Word of God, which is for all of us here today, because here is the lesson and here is the sermon in a nutshell up front as we get underway. Peter really did want to follow Jesus. Peter really did long to be faithful to Jesus. And and that's the reality for each and every Christian here. That's what we long to do. We, We want to follow Jesus faithfully. We long to be faithful to our Lord and Savior. 
And, but what we'll see here by Peter, by really divine design, was shown his lack of ability in and of himself to remain faithful to Jesus. And like us, he need at that moment, this moment, to not lean upon his own wisdom. We need not lean upon our own wisdom and our own understanding and our own strength, but we need to take this as a lesson, just as Peter needed to learn this lesson, and he does eventually, to lean fully on God and upon His grace and strength, which He provides in order to not fall into serious sin. Because such is the potential for each and every believer here in this room to fall into serious sin unless we take heed of what our passage is teaching us today. And so let's go ahead and read verses 36 to 38 of John 13, and then let's pray, asking the Lord to bless us not only to listen and to aid us not only to listen, but also to help us to put into practice this safeguard of what we learn today. And so may God bless the reading of His holy and sufficient and inerrant word to us, verse 36 of John 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? And truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow. Until you, Peter, deny me three times. Let's pray. Father, we have read and know about this fall of Peter many, many times. It's familiar. But Lord, would you please remove the familiarity of it? if that is at the expense of the seriousness of it. Lord, we believe in the Holy Spirit of God and we pray, would you please teach us, guide us, illuminate truth to us, bless us, sanctify us, cause us to take heed here this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We've heard me say many, many times... <laughs> that we know the purpose of the Gospel of John. We know that it was written so that one might believe, and that in believing you might have life in His name. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and then have life in His name. Remember again, it is evangelistic and it's experiential. That's the purpose of the Gospel of John, a dual purpose. Experiential means it gets down into your life, it's going to do it again today. It's going to get in, down into the life of a believer today. Peter was a believer in the Lord Jesus and he fell into serious sin. When we read about Peter's denial, which is just introduced to us here, we know that it's terrible. We also know that it is diabolical for Judas to have betrayed Jesus. Judas is soon going to arrive and he'll be 
out front of the religious leaders and he'll lead them to arrest Jesus. Imagine that scene. Imagine that scene. The one that was among them for for so many years as one of them is now leading the charge against them and against the Lord Jesus there. I always think that that would have been quite the sight. Seeing a, a weaselly little Judas with his little bag of silver on the other side now. With the altogether apostate, altogether unregenerate Jewish leaders, religious leaders, he's coming, he's leading a charge there to arrest the sinless Jesus who'd only ever loved him perfectly. And so when we think of Judas's betrayal, it is worse than this momentary denial of Peter, but we cannot downplay how serious a fall this was from Peter. And when you think of Peter, the apostle, you think of the 12 disciples, right? You think of the 12 disciples, they were chosen from among hundreds and hundreds of people. And then when you think of the 12 chosen from among hundreds and hundreds of people, you then think of three, right? You think of the three from among the 12, Peter, James, and John. And then, once you've thought about the three, Peter, James, and John, what next do you think? You think about the one, Peter. Because just as Jesus showed specific, focused attention to the three, He also paid specific attention to the one, Peter. And that really is something that the first among leaders, the leader of leaders, can fall into serious sin. And if the first among leaders and the first among the disciples, if you will, can fall into serious sin, then each and every one of us can do the same. And that really is something that needs to sit uncomfortably on our shoulders right here and right now. Every single Christian here this morning, as I said, has the potential to fall into serious sin. And when you think about sin, sin is a heinous thing. Sin is a serious thing. Sin is a deadly thing. Sin is a disastrous thing. And sin is always something that promises to give momentary pleasure, but it always ends in destruction and death, the Bible says. Sin is something that is still present in us, around us. Sin is still crouching at the door. And when you take in the fact that the devil and his fallen angels are roaming around seeking whom they may devour. And when you take in the fact that though we are redeemed and have been made regenerate by the Holy Spirit who indwells us, we still have a body of unredeemed flesh hanging on us. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death. And then when you take in all of that, plus the fact that we live in this fallen world, which is under the sway of the devil, who, by the way, has his own trinity. We read about it in 1 John chapter 2. It's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of possessions in this life. That's the devil's trinity. When you take all of that, that sin is crouching, that the devil is roaming, that the 
unredeemed flesh is still on us, that we live in a fallen world. When you take all of that, we have a very serious potential to fall into grave sin, every single one of us. And our passage serves to give us two ways to protect and safeguard us from falling in to serious sin. Two ways to safeguard our lives by God's grace so as to remain faithful amidst an unfaithful and fallen world carrying around a body of flesh. That's our passage and our sermon today. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you these two headings up front. We'll see that each of us need to, number one, be mindful of Jesus' words in verses 36 and the beginning of verse 37, 37a. And then number two, we'll see that we must, each of us, need to be careful of your ways in verses 37b to 38. We need to commit to these two things. You know, as I speak here this morning, you may, I don't know, you may be flirting with some sin at the moment. You may even be in the depths of some temptation at the moment. You actually even may be engaged in some kind of sin at the moment. Whether or not that is the case or not, we all need to take heed of these two safeguards today. Why? Because overconfidence and an overassessment in our own ability to withstand temptation is something that God permeates His word with. We need only think of Moses or David or Solomon. The list goes on, right? And so many others. To see that sin can easily cause chaos in the life of God's people. When you think about it, this is surely one of the reasons why Jesus, when asked by the disciples about how they are to pray, Jesus teaches them and us to pray daily Lead us, Lord, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. I'm going to ask you a question, because I asked me this question, is when was the last time you prayed that? When was it? If we're honest, we don't pray that enough. Our Lord who knows our frame, He knows our heart, He knows what we're like, He tells us, Pray that daily. I'm not talking about some uh, rote um, Roman Catholic repetition of the Lord's Prayer. I'm talking about the contents and the depths of the disciples' prayer that Jesus gives us. Lord, help me not to be tempted. And when I am tempted, Lord, help me not to sin. That's a prayer. We don't pray like that enough. We don't fight like that enough. We don't take Jesus' words seriously enough. And that's the first heading and the first safeguard we see in our passage from Peter. It's number one, be mindful of Jesus' words. Be mindful of Jesus' words in verses 36 to 37a. Look at verse 36 with me again. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Now, 
I want you to know that when Peter asks that question, it is not inquisitive. He is protesting. When he says that, it is a spirit of protesting when he states that. You recall from last Lord's Day, Judas had been dismissed from the upper room as this scoundrel sent on his way. And that's when Jesus truly begins to instruct instruct with his words to his true disciples on how they ought to live. And I made mention last Sunday, it's quite remarkable that in Jesus' last will and testament, if you will, to the disciples, the first thing he says is love one another. So crucial for us to love one another. The next thing that's brought out is be mindful of my words. I want you to notice that Peter was not being mindful of Jesus' words here. I want you to look back up at verse 34 in your Bibles with me. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse 36, then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? It doesn't take much to see that Peter totally ignored the command from Jesus. Totally ignored it. Jesus says, love one another. Peter says, where are you going? Peter's mind skipped that crucial word and command from Jesus and ran to what Jesus said earlier. Look at verse 33. Jesus said, little children. I'm with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. You see, Peter was not listening. Peter was not listening. He had a habit of not listening. You and I have a habit of not listening. I heard a funny account this week of a a pastor uh, preached an entire sermon on the cessation of the spiritual gifts. And he preached an entire sermon. I haven't heard the sermon. Don't know if it was good or bad. Uh, anyway, he preaches an entire sermon on the on the cessation of the revelatory sign gifts, the spiritual gifts. And uh, someone came up after the sermon and said, "Wow, our pastor taught that the the sign gifts uh, haven't ceased." <laughs> and you see, he wasn't listening properly. I know none of you uh, fall into that kind of way of thinking, but. He didn't listen properly. Sometimes we don't listen well. And Peter, time and time again, had not listened. Why? Do you know that Jesus had already said to the disciples time and time again, including Peter, that I am going to be betrayed, that I am going to be handed over to the chief priests, that I am going to be killed and on the third day rise again? The other Gospels tell us that Jesus said that to Peter at least three times leading up to this point here. He wasn't listening. Wasn't paying attention to Jesus' words. And Jesus had just said back in John 12, the chapter prior, to the people in Peter's hearing that he was going to be lifted up to die. And he he actually said, for just a little while longer, I, the light, will be with you. But Peter didn't heed any of those words. He completely bypassed and ignored Jesus' commandment to love one another. 
And he completely missed and didn't pay attention to Jesus' words over and over again. You see, we need the words of God. We need to pay attention to the words of God. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our journey that we're on. He knows what we need. And I bet if you are honest with yourself right here and right now, you would know from your own life experientially that when you are neglecting the Word of God, both in private during the week and in the corporate gathering on the Lord's Day, you begin to drift. You begin to drift. First you drift in your mind, and then in your affections, and then in your actions. There is a downward trajectory. That's why we're called, that's why we're commanded in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, aren't we? To renew our minds with the Word of God, so that we'll live in accordance with the will of God. That which is holy and wholesome and good. I want to show you something here now. I've, I've shown it to you before, but it's crucial to see it again as it speaks to a number of things, including sins that Christians can fall into and must not fall into, but it also shows us the way out and a further safeguard to this kind of thing. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 18. Very familiar. Look at verse 17. Do not be foolish. That's a good word. Do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is dissipation. But be filled by the Spirit. Don't get drunk. Be filled by the Spirit. Look at the fruit. Look at the result of being filled by the Spirit in verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's the, that's the fruit of a Spirit-filled life. That's what it looks like to lay hold of the means of grace that the Spirit of God affords us as His precious children. I want you to turn with me to Colossians now. Colossians chapter 3, just, just a few pages forward there in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. All under the heading of be mindful of Jesus' words. Look at verse 16. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ, God's word, Christ's word, richly dwell within you. That's a command. Then look at, the, look at the fruit. Look at the results. Verse 16, the rest of it. With all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God 
the Father. I trust that you just observe that the results of a Spirit-filled life is the exact same as a Word-filled life, and the exact results of a Word-filled life are the same as a Spirit-filled life. You cannot divorce the Word of God from the Spirit of God, and you cannot divorce the Spirit of God from the Word of God. And the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, has a tangible effect upon our life. You want to safeguard against a serious fall into sin in your own life? Then read the Word of God prayerfully by the Spirit of God. You want to fall into sin and have the serious consequences of sin damage your own life, your own testimony, the life of your family, the glory of God? Then do not be in the Word of God. I told you, it's not lovely today, it's confronting today. We go where the text goes, such as my responsibility. You see, we are spiritual people. We're spiritual people, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. We do spiritual things. <laughs> we do spiritual things like worship, we sing spiritual songs, we sit under spiritual sermons so that we can be strength, strengthened by grace. The author to the Hebrews said, it is good for you to be strengthened by grace, not so much by food. And so we do all of that to avoid the deadly pitfalls of the flesh. And so a very simple lesson as we're at the gate. Very simple, but very crucial for us to live out. We who have the mind of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, you're born again. You're born from above. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the triune God, the Spirit doesn't break up. We are indwelt by the triune Godhead. The mind of Christ is in us. We understand sin. We understand the holiness of God. We understand the Word of God. We have the mind of Christ. We need to live our life listening to and obeying the Word of Christ as those who possess the mind of Christ. Imagine having a mind that is open and receptive and able to uh, understand something laid before it and it just neglects it. You and I have been granted the privilege of all privileges to have our eyes and our mind awakened to the treasures of the Word of God. But we, we just go like this. And then we we wonder why we fall into sin. The Word of Christ is called the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? The sword of the Spirit in Ephesians. By it, we fight against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life's possessions. All three of those ensnare us and lead us into serious sin. All three of them. And so first, number one, we must be mindful of Jesus' words. Second, number two now, we'll see in the remainder of chapter 13 that we must be careful of our ways. You can personalize it, be careful of your ways, and we'll just say be careful of our ways. Jesus tells us in Mark 14 verse 38 that the flesh is weak. It's weak. It's weak. 
Don't be overconfident in our own flesh. Don't have an overassessment of ourselves in our own flesh. The flesh is prone to impulse. The flesh is prone to having a seared conscience very easily. The flesh is prone to sin. Sin. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, very familiar passage. Let me read it for you. Well, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body. Refreshment to your bones. Honor Yahweh from your wealth. From your money. And from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of Yahweh. Or loathe his reproof. For whom Yahweh loves he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. How blessed is the person who finds wisdom. Well, if we're to be careful in all our ways, what are we to make of that? If you look at the second half of verse 37... Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. That, that was his intention. <laughs> that, that, that's what we would all, that would, that's what we'd all have as our, our goal and, our, and on, our, on our heart. Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? You can imagine how Christ said that, will you? And then he says, truly, truly, there's four truly, truly's here in this chapter, and this is the fourth and final one, and it's significant. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Imagine how that felt. Imagine what that felt like. We ought to be careful. We can actually take a little bit of Peter's life now and begin to ask ourselves, well, how can we be careful? How can we be careful? Well, number one, I want to tell you, Number one is we need an awareness of our weaknesses. That is, humility. Do you know sometimes? Sometimes all God's looking for is just a little bit of humility from you and I. You can say, well, He's looking for a lot. He is. But I'm just saying, in moments and times, everything goes away if you just give a little bit of humility. Just a little bit. Peter boasted here that he'd lay down his life. And he really believed he would. But then he went on to falter three times, do you know this, in three separate locations. Three times in three separate locations on the one night when the pressure came. And so his boastfulness was just pridefulness. Humility. He had a boastfulness, a lack of humility. That wedded into the second way we can be careful is through prayer. We need prayer so as to be sensitive to sin. And we need 
prayer so as to be of a sound mind and a sound base. You know the story. Peter goes on from here into the garden of Gethsemane and what did he do? He fell asleep. He fell asleep. Matthew 26 verse 41 tells us that Jesus said to Peter, Keep watching and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus comes back, Peter's asleep. Do you know that Peter went on to write in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter, post this lesson, post-restoration, said, stay awake, don't fall asleep, pray. And so prayer was a problem for Peter. Third way we can be careful, we need to be humble, we need to pray. Third way we can be careful is to have reliance upon God. Reliance upon God. To have strength from the right source. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Let me read it for you. It says this. Fascinating paradox of the Christian life right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, for when I am weak... Then I am strong. I am weak. Then I am strong. You know, that's a remarkable verse because it tells us that seeing our weaknesses makes us strong because our weaknesses make us rely on God's strength. And I think sometimes we have a poor understanding of our own weaknesses we need humility to see our weaknesses we need prayer to see our weaknesses and we need to rely upon God to see our weaknesses seeing our weaknesses makes us strong because our weaknesses make us rely on God's strength Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 5 he said without me you can do nothing There's a little book, some of you have read it. It's called The Compulsive Power of a Newfound Affection. I thought about that book this week and I thought I want to change the title of it for this sermon. The Compulsive Power of a Clean Conscience. Sin will muddle and destroy a clean conscience. When you are 
not carrying around a clean conscience, but in possession of just a guilty conscience because of your sin. You will say things that don't need to be said. You will do things that don't need to be done. And you will think things that don't need to be thought. And your sin will sow discord in your own life, in your family's life, in the life of this church. But the compulsive power of a clean conscience will mean that you will say things that ought to be said. You will do things that ought to be done. And you will think things that ought to be thought. And you will glorify God in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of this church. The Bible tells us a lot about a clean conscience and how wonderful it is to have a clean conscience. Christ came to cleanse our consciences and we defile it with our own sin. You know, when Peter denied Jesus in the courtroom, in the courtyard rather, because John and Peter were in there, I think it's Chrysostom, John was, his dad used to sell fish to the high priest so John could always get in there, if you ever wondered how John was in there. John and Peter are in their courtyard and when Peter denies Jesus that third time, we read that Jesus looked at Peter, Luke 22 verse 61. You imagine that? Peter denies for the third time in a third different location. And as soon as he does, we read that Jesus just looks at Peter. What a look. What a look. Peter remembered right at that moment, we're told, what Jesus said to him here in our passage. And he left and he wept bitterly. What a look. But I want you to know it was not a look of anger. wasn't a scolding, angry look. It was the look of a shepherd. The Gospel of John ends with Jesus saying to Peter, Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. You know, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah. Well, feed my sheep. When Jesus looked at Peter that night, as Peter had denied the Lord, it was a look of a shepherd who cares for and loves his sheep. Christ was on his way to atone for the sin of Peter. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've sinned, even greatly, you must confess it, you must turn from it, you must learn from it, but I want you to know God is not punishing you for it. He may choose as a good father to, to lovingly discipline you for it, but He is not punitively 
punishing you for it. Charles Spurgeon said once, quote, God has punished Christ instead of me. And therefore, He cannot also punish me. I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 14 in John 13. We have chapter breaks and sometimes we think that, you know, it's an entire new thought. No. Look what Jesus says to Peter and to us. Don't let your heart be troubled. That's a loving shepherd right there. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't deny God. He says, believe in God. Don't deny me. He says, believe also in me. That's a loving shepherd. One last thing I need you to hear and heed. When Jesus was arrested that evening, we read that all the other disciples scattered. But Peter stayed. He stayed. Despite his failure, he actually was courageous and bold. He stood with Jesus against an entire army of soldiers, a big army. But it was a little girl who took him out. A little girl who said, aren't you? You are, you're with him. You're one of his followers. Lesson from that, it won't be the big things. It won't be the big things that catch you and I out and cause us to fall. It'll be the little things. These little, little things that you and I have to safeguard against. And we safeguard against those by being mindful, not negligent of Jesus' words. And we safeguard against that little, those little things by being careful in our ways. We need to be humble. We need to be prayerful. And we need to be reliant upon God. I'm talking to Christians here today. If you're here and you're living in sin, everything I've said is nothing to do with you. There's no gospel grace for you if you're just sitting here living in sin. In this context. You can't hear this and then just live in sin. Paul remarkably said in Romans 6, Should we continue in sin so that then the grace of God continues to go ahead of us and we just keep sinning like this? And he said, may it never be. Everything here has been gospel tincture to the saint, reminding the saint of their loving father, reminding the saint that when they fall, they have an advocate in the Lord Jesus to the father, 
reminding the saint that they have a shepherd who looks to them. But to the non-Christian here today, none of this other than this is for you. That unless you stop relying on your own works to save you, and you lean fully by abandoning your own works and lean fully on Jesus' works, His perfect life and His perfect death and His glorious resurrection, where He went to the cross and died on that cross in the place for you as a guilty sinner, that if you believe this day, then when you sin again, you'll have an advocate And that if you confess your sins, because Christ took your sins, past, present and future, when you confess your sins to Holy Father, He will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But outside of that, if you don't come to the Lord Jesus today, you just have a judge who's awaiting to execute perfect justice upon you. And when you sin, you're not seeing the smiling caring face of a savior you are storing up for yourself greater wrath upon wrath for the day to come and so i don't know who is here that needs to hear that but someone is and so today may it be your day where you finally reject your own good works to try and save you and you just lean fully on Jesus' works to save you. But my dear brothers and sisters, today is the day where you and I have received clearly safeguards about how we are to avoid falling into serious sin. And so may we pay attention here today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and say thank you for the opportunity it is to be in your word. Lord, we May we never take it for granted. May we understand, Lord, that you call us to holiness. May we understand, Lord, that not only do you give us a commandment to love one another, but to be holy. And not only will all people, the world, know that we are your disciples by the way we love each other as Christians, they'll understand that we are your disciples by the way we live holy lives. thank you for the good shepherd we thank you that he he laid down his life father forgive us our sin lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil lord may we be a people that confess our sins and seek your help because without you Our Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. And all God's people said, Amen.